Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who is so happy to have you back. Andrew was a fantastic guest last week, and I really had a good time talking about Yuna and Titus, but I missed my V. Hmm, and I'm Vervada, a girl who was missing because my sweet, almost 14-year-old puppy dog had to leave this world unexpectedly and it was awful so because Jen loves me she let me have a night off and I listened to that episode and I was way in over my head because I've never played that Final Fantasy I've only ever played seven and like the Vincent Valentine spinoff game because I was obsessed with him (laughs) but um oh and on on the online game I played that one too but that's the only Final Fantasy stuff I've ever played so it was interesting to actually listen to one of our episodes that had nothing, I had no knowledge of anything in it. And I wasn't even there for its recording. So I was like a real audience member. Aww. That, that is a very interesting take. I felt that way when, uh, when the Cups did their episode on Isabella. It was like, I knew what it was gonna be, like what the words were. But uh, it was interesting. All right. So if you are new here, welcome back to the beautiful chaos. If you're new here, you're not coming back to the beautiful chaos. You're here for the chaos for the first time. That's just how it goes. You should also know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters using specific in-game dialogue. So if you want to stay spoiler-free, then this isn't the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert, Sam. And just like with all of our previous episodes, we'll assume that you have some background knowledge on the game and character in question. We will be providing context for those who may be unfamiliar. I'm so excited. (laughs) Today, we're on an adventure. From the coast of Panama to the mythical city of Shambhala, the Rubalkali Desert, 
and the fabled pirate city of Libertalia. We know that greatness comes from small beginnings. Today's episode is one I've been waiting for. We're talking about the romance between Nathan Drake and Elena Fisher across all four main games in the highly acclaimed series developed by Naughty Dog, Uncharted. Yeah, yeah, save the world, triumph over evil. <laughs> Pretty typical. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's a shame we're leaving empty-handed, though. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I, I did manage to save one small thing. Here, I, I thought you might miss this. Thanks. Yeah. You two got a funny idea of romantic. Sully! <laughs> wow, you you look like hell. You should see the other guy. <laughs> I love that little giggle she does. I had to keep that in there. Yeah, her voice actress is Emily Rose. She's also Sif in um, God of War Ragnarok. It's the only other thing I can think of off the top of my head. She's so great. Like, the voice acting in this game is one of the best examples of voice acting I've ever seen, really. Like, they feel so real, just purely off their voices. The first game, Uncharted, Drake's Fortune, is set in 2006, and the overall plot is centered around Nate looking for the mythical place known as El Dorado, which was also a really good movie on its own. (laughs) The story opens with Elena filming Nate opening what is allegedly the lost coffin of Sir Francis Drake. If you ask the English, he was a famed explorer for the crown, but the Spanish labeled him as a pirate and called him El Draque, the dragon, and placed a massive bounty on his head. Elena's a journalist and foreign correspondent whose production company is funding the expedition to Drake's coffin. When they open the coffin, it's empty, except for Drake's diary showing the supposed location of El Dorado. You know, it's amazing how a diary shut in a non-waterproofed coffin underwater for 500 years is still legible enough to find El Dorado. But I will suspend my disbelief because this is the kind of Indiana Jones-esque adventure that I absolutely adore. It's just plain good fun. Nate has a sidekick slash father figure in his life. A chain-smoking, womanizing dishonorably discharged Navy veteran named Victor Sullivan, or Sully for short. And he's also the pilot of a cute little Grumman G-21 goose seaplane he calls the Hog Wild. Nate and Sully are quick to drop Elena as fast as they can once they have the location of El Dorado, because these are two men who are used to only looking out for themselves. It serves them well up until now, but in a delicious example of an inverted trope, The damsel in distress turns out to be Nate and Sully. Somewhere in the Amazon rainforest, the duo find an old German submarine that tells them that El Dorado isn't a place, but a golden statue that was removed from its resting place centuries ago by Spanish conquistadors. Sully is shot and presumed dead, and Nate runs off with Elena because she had the wherewithal to stash a jeep nearby. They'd fly out to a hidden island where the statue was supposedly moved to. The adventurer anti-hero gets himself captured because Nate is not great at the sneaky sneak. Luckily for him, Elena knows a thing or two about weak points in masonry. I know I'm not a big-time treasure hunter like you, but I doubt you're going to find El Dorado in there. 
How'd you get yourself in this mess? Trying to rescue you, as a matter of fact. Oh, that's so sweet. Traditional sandstone, brick, and stucco. Limestone mortar, huh? How'd you get to know so much about this? My show, episode four, Architects of a New World. Yep. It'll just take a tug to pull these bars out. What? No, wait, are you sure? Yeah, I think she's sure. (laughs) One of the very first things that stuck out to me as a woman who's played games her whole life was how very not male gaze Elena is. She is conventionally attractive, sure, but she's not eye candy, and she is not just for the benefit and pleasure of the male characters around her. We'll be talking more about this throughout the episode, but Elena regularly rescues Nate and Sully. Like, all the time. Like, to the point that Nate would have died three games back, if not for her, by the time we get to Uncharted 4. After she rescues Nate this time, they adventure around together and eventually find Sully is alive and well, thanks to Drake's diary. There isn't a ton of romance in this first game, just lots of chemistry and flirting. To quickly fast forward through the rest of the first game, they find El Dorado. But it's a sarcophagus containing a mummy that emits an infectious dust. Everyone near the sarcophagus when it is open turns into creepy nightmare Spider-Mans you've been fighting up until now. Navarro, one of the big baddies of this game, airlifts the sarcophagus to a ship with the intention of selling it as a biological weapon. Because why not turn your enemy into stronger killing machines? Makes total sense. Nate, of course, saves the day by thwarting Navarro and plunging the statue into the depths of the ocean. Let's hope that no one knows where to find it now. For good. And that the dust can't travel in water. Sorry you didn't get your story. Well, that's alright. No the other stories. You still owe me one. I'm good for it. <laughs> he sure is good for it. We sped through this first game. But please, if you've never played them, do yourself a favor and play through all four from start to finish. The first game is pretty clunky. It did come out in 2007, after all. But it's worth it to have the full story. The next chapter of Nate and Elena's adventurous love story takes place in Uncharted 2 Among Thieves, which is set in 2009, three years about after the first game. In this game, we are after the mythical lost city of Shambhala, a.k.a. Shangri-La, and the Chintamani Stone, which is a wish-fulfilling jewel in both Buddhist and Hindu traditions. Think of it kind of like the equivalent of the Philosopher's Stone in Western beliefs. Or Harry Potter, let's be real. The game has one of the best opening scenes of all time, with Nate coming out of unconsciousness in a derailed train, his car hanging off of a cliff. But after this, we do a mighty flashback to Nate and Harry Flynn, voiced by none other than Steve Valentine, a.k.a. Alistair, planning a heist. Also Chloe Fraser, Nate's past fling, who's so bad she's almost good femme fatale, she's along for the adventure. And she's voiced by Claudia Black, a.k.a. Morrigan. So we get a mini Dragon Age Origins reunion in this game. The heist is breaking into the Istanbul Palace Museum to steal a Mongolian lamp. They believe that the Mongolian lamp may hold a secret to the treasure of Marco Polo's lost fleet. Go big or go home, right? The lamp does indeed hold a map that indicates that the fleet was thrown ashore by a tsunami, and it was transporting none other than the fleet-fabled stone. 
Flynn does a loyalty switch, so sorry, Nate. Alistair is now the bad guy. He takes the map to his boss, Lazarevic, a former Serbian-Soviet intelligent officer, military commander, and current ruthless war criminal that is supposed to be dead if you ask NATO. This guy looks like he got into a fight with a meat grinder and won. So honestly, my fight or flight is activated. He's not someone to cross. But Nate has chronic hero syndrome, so he isn't about to just stop looking for Shambhala. In the words of my husband, he's too stupid to quit. (laughs) I know a lot of people say that, but that's where I first heard it. Of course, Nate and Sully follow Flynn to Borneo. They traverse through the jungle and find camps set up by the huge mercenary force Lazarevich has assembled to look for the stone. And they learn that the stone is still in Shambhala. They also find a purba, which is a fancy key, and a letter leading them to Kathmandu. Oh, and throughout this time, Chloe has been kind of playing a double agent between Lazarevich and Nate, but it's still unclear where her actual loyalties lie. And just when Chloe and Nate are yet again escaping Lazarevich's men, who should they run into but none other than Elena Fisher and her cameraman Jeff? But don't get attached to Jeff, just FYI. But why out here? Why why tear apart the city? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Oh. What? Now, tell me you don't have anything to do with this. <laughs> That's ridiculous. There you are, Nate. I think I lost them. Oh, whoa, whoa. It's all right, Chloe. They're journalists. Oh. We need to keep moving if we want to stay one step ahead of Lazarevich, so... Oh, man, Nate! Uh, hey, wait, wait, wait. Now, don't jump to conclusions, Elena. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Am I sensing some history here? Oh, Elena Fisher. Last year's model. <laughs> That's cute. Oh. The dynamic between Chloe and Elena is very interesting in this game. And the four main characters are also interesting to think about. It exists both as each character being made up of stock character arcs and also wholly unique reinterpretations and messages. Elena is the good girl. Nate is the anti-hero who will become good. Sully is the crotchety, womanizing old man who somehow isn't creepy despite it. And Chloe is the bad girl who is allowed to be sexually suggestive because the story will remove her as a viable partner for the good guy. Elena and Nate will never have a sex scene that we see, but Chloe is a femme fatale. How many of these characters can you think of? Chloe, Catwoman from DC, Naomi from Metal Gear Solid, Black Cat from Marvel, Megara in Hercules, Mystique in X-Men, Saffron from Firefly, The list goes on and on. It's almost like we really like seeing women who are dangerous because they also are freely sexual. But they're also more than just those tropes. Through careful writing, world building, and characterization, Naughty Dog crafted these amazing characters from these old and often tired building blocks. These characters will feel familiar to anyone who has spent any time reading or watching TV And yet these games present us with wholly realized and independently motivated characters, two of which are women, which was unprecedented when these games debuted, and it's still far from being a normal occurrence. 
The part where it gets a bit murky is that ever-present orbital nature of the main cast around the player character. We didn't create Nate in our character creation menu, but he is our character, and both Chloe and Elena, like the other main cast, serve to help Nate understand his own situation and responsibilities despite having their own agendas and opinions on the many events in-game. And this is where Elena and Chloe diverge. While Elena may be an independent, kick-ass woman that is hell-bent on revealing the wrongs committed by awful people like Lazarevich, she also can't help but fall for the lovable, very flawed Nate. Chloe is also smart and competent, but she constantly disagrees with and endlessly harries Nate, sometimes out of self-interest and other time out of their shared connection and respect. Chloe wants Nate, and the opening love scene between the two of them sets up the precedent for their two characters. They have a romantic past, and Nate ended it, but they are still attracted to one another, and both seem to want to get back together, although Chloe is more verbal about this. This dynamic allows Chloe to more easily play the part of the morally duplicitous free agent. She is enabled in her double agent, can we trust her, nature by her already established sexual freedom and perceived promiscuity. The story never judges Chloe on this, but she serves as a complete foil to Elena for the purposes of Nate's love life. Elena's goodness and morality are in contrast to Chloe's seemingly moral weakness and fluctuation. So no matter what, we the players are rooting for Nate and Elena because how can Nate choose Chloe? Chloe points out repeatedly that Elena broke his heart and that he still has feelings for Elena. It's actually one of the many reasons I love Chloe's character. She's so mature about this whole thing. She still wants Nate, but she can see clearly that Nate loves Elena. Her love and respect for Nate is what ultimately leads her to fully align with him and goes from mocking Elena's goodness to helping her survive the later events of the game. I will also say that even though she seems really like not totally good in this game, she has her own DLC, she has her own DLC called Lost Legacy, and she eventually does get the treasure and she turns it into like the cultural institute. So she doesn't sell it and make money off of it like Nate always does with his treasures. <laughs> We're supposed to not think about how he just like goes in, destroys all these historic sites and like steals treasure and sells it for money <laughs> because he's the good guy, right? But Chloe actually is better than him by the end of this series because she, she actually does turn it in to a museum. So just going to point that out. I love Chloe. I like that. I like that a lot. There's also another part about Chloe that I really like. So, it's been a long, strange trip, hasn't it? Yes, it has. <laughs> you know, you should play the hero more often. Suits you. Nah. <laughs> Tell me something, Nate. What? Do you love her? Chloe, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Really, it's all right. Just do yourself a favor, cowboy. Tell her. Chloe. No. My turn to walk away. But admit it. You're gonna miss this ass. <laughs> I love that line. It's so good. If Chloe had a theme song, it would be L. King's X's and O's. Well, I had me a boy and turned him into a man. 
I showed him all the things that he didn't understand. Whoa. And then I let him go. It's perfect. So, to wrap up Uncharted 2, you battle your way through the Himalayas, encountering Lazarevic's men, Yeti, and you make your way to Shambhala. Turns out the Chintamanti stone is actually petrified resin from the Tree of Life. Yeah, that Tree of Life. Lazarevic drinks some of the sap, which is also what the Guardians of Shambhala did, and it turned them into Blue Hulks. So this boss battle is certainly a challenge. Elena was seemingly mortally wounded in the ensuing battles, but Chloe helped her to safety. Uncharted 2 definitely ends with Nate and Elena's relationship as a more sure thing. At the end of the first game, they were just getting to know each other. It is implied that they had some kind of romantic involvement for a time between the games, but they had clearly since broken up. At the end of this game, shows Nate and Elena coming back together. And we get to see their first kiss on screen. So where do we go from here, huh? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't thought that far ahead. Of course not. <laughs> but then again, neither have I. Good. So, on a scale of one to ten, how scared were you that I was going to die? Four. Four? Yeah, why? Four. A four. Yeah. You were at least an eight. An eight? You were a total eight. An eight? Those guardian things were an eight. Are you kidding me? Yeah, those were terrifying. What's a ten? Clowns. Clowns over my death? I, I clowns. hate clowns. I hate clowns. Oh, my word. You thought I was dead. No. No, you thought I was no, gone. No. Yes, you did. No, I, I saw had you, you shed tears. You shed a bunch of them. Tears? Mm -hmm. It was raining. No, it was not. You were unconscious and it was raining. It was totally sunny out and you were bawling. It wasn't sunny. You were unconscious. Whatever. I kept your tears in a jar. I have proof. I'll give you five. How's that? <laughs> I absolutely love their banter. It just sounds like some of my friends bantering, like... A couple I know. I mean, even me and my husband would talk to each other like this. It's so real. I love it so much how natural it sounds. A lot of the games we've talked about, you know, it's it's all scripted. But like, I don't know. It just seems so natural the way they speak to each other. So the next stop on this wild ride is Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception, which is set one year after the events of Uncharted 2 in 2010. This game is all about finding the Atlantis of the Sands, somewhere in the Middle East. I know I said Uncharted 2 had the best opening, but damn, the opening to this game is so cool. I'm telling you guys, please play these games. Nate and Sully get in a pub brawl in London, fight and run and try to escape as usual. They get caught, of course, and Catherine Marlowe, one of this game's big baddies, takes Sir Francis Drake's ring from around Nate's neck. There's a nice flashback here of how Nate originally stole the ring from a museum 20 years ago and first met Sully. And then it is revealed that Charlie Cutter, a friend and fellow action man, set up the ambush and allowed Marlo to steal a fake ring, not the real deal, because Nate would never do his ring like that. Oh, and Chloe's here for some treasure hunting too. <laughs> 
they find Marlo's underground secret lair in a cipher that, when used with the ring, decodes a Nokian script, saying that Drake was looking for Iram, or the Atlantis of the Sands. This game is all about globetrotting, as we have to find two clues, one in Syria and one in France. And then the clues point them to Yemen. This is where we finally see Elena again. And it's apparent that in between the end of Uncharted 2 and now, Elena and Nate have gotten married, but have since separated. Elena makes it clear that the reason their marriage is on pause is due in no small part to Nate's inability to commit to a normal life, to let go of the grand yet death-defying adventures and treasure hunting. So what exactly are you two reprobates up to? It's just a little historical research. Right. So that explains the big rush? Exactly. No cursed treasures? Nope. No diabolical warlords? No. You are the worst liar. What? You are. Oh, come on. We're not going to start this, are we? The car. Where is it? Oh, it's over there. I'll just take the bags and meet you. Mate. You're still wearing it. Yeah, I am. <laughs> it helps in this part of the world. Oh, really? Seriously? Don't flatter yourself. So, for context, Nate was saying that Elena was still wearing her wedding ring. Nate doesn't wear his anymore. The conversation continues, but I had to really limit the audio clips for this episode. The video of all their content together in all four games comes in just under four hours, so they get plenty of screen time. That's just cutscenes too, not even like in-game banter. I think it's super cute that Sully lets them have a minute alone to talk. But of course, Sully would do this. He's Nate's father for all intents and purposes. And parents want the best for their children. Sully never settled down, and that might be what he wanted for his life. But he can see that Nate isn't like him. Nate wants a family because he's never really had one. Later on, when Elena walks away from them in the city for a moment, Sally will point out that Elena is still wearing her wedding ring, to which Nate will tell him what she said about it being helpful in this part of the world. I just think it's such a cute moment because both of these men are like, what the heck does that mean? And I am an enabler and left all the clips in and added a few extra lines here and there because I love them too. Oh, and for context... Four hours is a really long time. The full Garrus interaction vid, which includes all of his dialogue from the first game, and all conversations in 2 and 3, and all the DLCs, comes in at an hour and 35 minutes. 135. That's all. This is the long-term relationship that I have been looking for. Sort of. But that's a tangent for another day. Continuing on the journey, Elena gives the two a tour of the city in Yemen, and they locate an underground tomb where they find the supposed location of the lost city, the Atlantis of the Sands. They also discover that Sir Francis Drake apparently found the location of the city as well, but he never actually went all the way to the city. When they emerge from the underground tomb, Nate is drugged by someone working for Talbot, Marlo's right-hand man. He runs around the city hallucinating and eventually comes down in a cafe, 
where Marlo and Talbot, where they threaten Elena and Sully if Nate doesn't tell them the location of the lost city. In the meantime, Sully is kidnapped by Marlo, and of course Nate is going after him. As soon as he wakes up, anyway. Okay, so so let me get this straight. Drake sails thousands of miles looking for this Atlantis of the Sands. And when he gets this far, what he finds here is enough to make him turn around, sail home, and hide all evidence of his voyage. Right. But you, you're going to keep going, aren't you? Uh, yeah. And <laughs> for what? For treasure? Sully, he listens to you. Please make him stop. Yes, Sully, please tackle me. <laughs> what is wrong with you two? Elena, come on, we're just joking around. Listen, you've won, okay? You've outsmarted her. You know where to find the city, and Marlo doesn't. Why can't that be enough? Ugh, when he's like, we're just joking around, just joshing you, Elena. Ugh, so annoying. Ugh, a lot happens in between Nate finding out Sully has been kidnapped and him actually finding Sully again. Once again, go play the games. Before Nate and Elena go off in search of Sully, Nate is injured as per usual. He apologizes to Elena, who has once again saved his ass. He says... I'm sorry, as he holds her hand and stares at her wedding ring. She just simply says, I know. Her voice is so tired here. Girl, I'm tired too. I see her saying I know because she knows he's sorry. Of course he loves her and he's sorry, but he can't stop. Her sigh before she answered I know tells me she's thinking, is he worth all this work? I love him too, but is it worth all this heartache? There's something I recently learned about called kin keeping, and stereotypically it falls on the women in a family to do. Kin keeping describes the invisible physical and emotional work that women do to maintain the life, as remembering birthdays or planning trip details, etc. Does Nate not see how often he relies on Elena? How often does she get him a gun, get him a car, swoops in, saves his ass, all while he is shouldering some self-imposed burden of protecting those around him. This is the main reason that their marriage is rocky. Nate just can't let go of his dangerous, adventuring ways. His priorities aren't the same as Elena's right now. It's not any surprise that Nate is emotionally immature. He was raised in an orphanage with an older brother who had to raise himself, and then he was picked up by Sully, who doesn't really know what raising a kid entails. So he just invited him into his life as is. Sully and Sam, Nate's older brother, lived in a world where you couldn't really trust anyone else, and it was everyone out for themselves. Luckily for Nate, Sully's been around the block a few times, and he has learned some major lessons. He usually has to learn them the hard way, but still. As long as Nate is willing to listen, he won't have to repeat those same mistakes. And luckily for Nate, Sully has kept his wedding ring safe, just in case. I have made a lot of mistakes, kid. A lot. <laughs> and, uh, well, I am not a perfect man. You're not proposing, are you, Sully? I mean, I love you. Uh, stop. Just stop being a wise-ass for one second. 
How long you been carrying that around? Too long. Thought I'd lost it. Here's the thing, kid. We don't get to choose how we start in this life. Real greatness? It's what you do with the hand you dealt. Hmm. I just love Sully's voice. For all his flaws, I just really love him. His kind of character is so easy to dislike sometimes, like the old man who talks about his sexual exploits of his youth all the time, or sometimes not his youth. And yet somehow Sully's redeemed through great writing and acting. As Sully hands Nate's wedding ring back to him, he'll glance at Elena, packing some bags as they prepare to finally leave Yemen. Nate looks properly chastised and a bit guilty, which is a good thing. He's finally pulling his head out of his ass and realizing what should matter most to him, his family. And that is how Uncharted 3 ends. We're finally at the final chapter of this amazing adventure with Nate and Elena. Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. But before we get into the biggest of the four games, we need to take a mid-break to hear from sponsors, learn some fun facts, and thank our patrons. If you told me that Butt Cheek Beach was a Mario Kart course, I'd believe you. You know how when you're hanging with your buds and the conversation takes a nosedive into vehemently arguing things about fictional worlds that don't matter? Well, Debate This is a show that tries to recapture that magic. The first time we meet Wario, I'm pretty sure, is in the second Mario Game Boy game, and I think his whole shtick is like, he's stealing shit. That doesn't mean he's anti-union time. <laughs> It's like two parts barroom debate, one part show and tell, and one part horrific thought experiment. He is certainly not stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. <laughs> if anything, Mario is a blue collar worker and he's stealing from Mario. Mario Mario is a centrist and we all know that. Mario is upholding the monarchist state of Mushroom Kingdom. You cannot tell me that Wario is not anti-fascist. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you download podcasts. Yeah, I'm gonna think about Wario being anti-fascist for a while. Go ahead, Todd. <laughs> mid-break dance. And I hope you are doing a little shoulder shimmy or a little head bob in your car, on the way to the gym, on your way to work, wherever you listen to this show. We appreciate it. So let's get into some fun facts. Fun fact. Sully's plane in the first game, The Hog Wild, is referenced to the Hog Wild level in the Crash Bandicoot video game, which was also created by Naughty Dog. We also get to play a level in Crash Bandicoot early on in Uncharted 4, which is pretty meta. Playing a Naughty Dog game while playing a Naughty Dog game, of which I have also played the actual game in my real life. <laughs> so, layers upon layers. Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> so good. Um, I'm not good at it, <laughs> that's for sure. No, I, I suck at those platform games. I can't jump. I, I suck at it. Nope. Me too. <laughs> so this next fun fact just, just makes no sense to me. I found this on multiple sources that Naughty Dog apparently based Nate's appearance and personality on Fecking Johnny Knoxville, 
like jackass actor, daredevil, dumbass Johnny Knoxville. Lead game designer Richard LeMacharnes apparently wanted Nate to reflect the, quote, coolness and goodness he saw in Johnny Knoxville. I mean, I, I didn't know about that. I personally don't see it at all. Nate has always resembled Firefly era Nathan Fillion to me, both in appearance and personality. But whatever. I just don't see Johnny Knoxville. So the hair is Knox to me. Like, and I guess kind of the personality a little bit in like the dumbass era or the the ability to take a physical risk. Like they are both willing to do like put their body out there. So I get that. I see that for sure. And also keep going after getting horribly injured. Yeah. But to me, he kind of looks like what Ginger King Alistair could have looked like if Origins was made a few years ago and not back in 09. I can has GAO remaster. Pretty please. I too would like this very much, Bioware. Agreed. Yes. All right. We do have a new review to read out from 192837465 listener. I don't know if that's just the random name that got generated for you or if those numbers are special to you. Either way, we appreciate. Review reads five stars from Apple Podcast. Where has this been all my life? This is phenomenal. As a female gamer and romantic, I am here for this. I'm more of a Bethesda girl. I'm still not over Darian Gautier in ESO. That's Elder Scrolls Online. But you ladies have encouraged me to check out some new games. A thousand stars. Ah, uh, thank you. So many stars. Right? Thank you. And sorry it took so long to read this one. We just had a lot going on. And I don't know if Apple updates it very fast. I don't know. It doesn't. Also, I think now we need to add Elder Scrolls Online to the list of games in the future. I didn't even know they had romances in there. I've even played that, but not like I never finished. I don't know if you finish Elder Scrolls Online. No, but uh, I didn't know either. But we'll add that to the list because I had I genuinely had no idea. We've got a long list, guys. Don't worry. Job security. Content for years. And hopefully you all will still be here, especially to our patrons. Toasty, Apollo, Shanko, Mystheos, Wynn, Bat Knight. Lizzie and Rydell. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. So much appreciation. All right. Well, V, are you ready? Yes. So ready. This is my favorite out of all of them, I think. All right. Let's set sail to find Captain Henry Avery's lost pirate treasure in the final game of Uncharted. Love to know what you're thinking. I'm thinking that you're lucky that I found you when I did. Yeah. I love that. It sure is beautiful to see Nate finally appreciating, truly appreciating, the beautiful, kind, and courageous woman who gave her heart to him. Watching them come together stronger than ever in this game was awesome to see. So, Uncharted 4 starts five years after the end of Uncharted 3. And Nate has seemingly given up his Indiana Jones-esque life. 
He works at a salvage company in New Orleans and has settled in with Elena in their home. He has all the memorabilia of his exploits in the attic. He has a Nerf gun and can relive some firefights. It's pretty cute. There's a couple flashbacks in the early part of the game as well, showing Sam and Nate breaking out of the orphanage to go explore a mansion of a woman who has their late mother's diary and other cultural finds and treasures. Their mother is who they got all their historical knowledge from and love of treasure hunting. Another flashback shows exactly how the brothers came to want Henry Avery's treasure in the first place and how they paired up with Rafe Adler, a fellow adventure nerd with too much money, to sneak into a Panamanian jail in search of a St. Dismas cross for clues on the treasure. The cross points them to Scotland next, but the corrupt warden of the prison wants a cut, and Sam is assumed to have been killed during the great prison escape. So it is a huge surprise to Nate when Sam turns up at the salvage company, not dead, and on the trail of the treasure after all these years. Sam is voiced by none other than Troy Baker, Naughty Dog Royalty, who also voiced Joel in The Last of Us, and his acting is just superb. I'll give him credit. Nate struggles just a bit with saying yes, but ultimately, he can't say no to his brother. Sam is walking chaos, and of of course, he comes to Nate with a story about how he's been in that same prison this whole time until he was busted out by Hector Alcazar, a drug lord who has given Sam three months to find the treasure, or else, of course. The problem is, is that Nate is supposed to be done with this life. So instead of being honest with Elena, he tells her that he was going on a business trip to Malaysia. There was a real Malaysia job, but his boss couldn't get him the proper permits to do salvage there, so it didn't seem like he was going to work out. But then, when Sam shows up, Nate tells Elena that they got the permits. He seems to feel guilty about this, but it doesn't stop him from going. He's basically addicted to the high of the chase. You could call Sullivan. You haven't seen him Elena, in about two years. Can we please drop this? Okay, I just don't want you to not take it because of me. I'm not taking it because of me, okay? I appreciate the gesture. It's just... I'm going to go ahead and do the dishes. Oh, stop, I'll do them. No, you on. did them last night. No, you cooked. I cleaned. It's fine. Hmm. <laughs> That'll come into play later. Right after this is where you get to play Crash Bandicoot with Elena. It is a super cute, quiet bonding moment between two people who love each other and are just hanging out on their couch playing a video game. I wanted to highlight this scene because we can assume this is how they've spent the last five years of their married life. It's immediately followed by Sam coming back from the dead and convincing Nate to join him. So when he does tell Elena that he's taking the Malaysia job, it comes with the knowledge we have as the players that Nate has that he's lying to her. Probably the first and most important rule to having a successful relationship is to build it on trust, whether that's a friendship, romance, or any other kind of relationship. You can't have room for trust when you lie. Soon after, Nate and Sully find themselves at an auction in Italy, 
where they managed to steal a second St. Dismas cross. Rafe was there too, of course, because he's also obsessed, and he has hired Shoreline, a paramilitary group, to help him locate clues and secure locations and other tactical shit. Their leader is Nadine Ross, a South African woman who hands Nate his ass every time they get into a fistfight. She is amazing. Inside the second St. Dismas cross is an illustration of Henry Avery's tombstone, which is located near the St. Dismas Cathedral in Scotland. When Nate, Sam, and Sully get to Scotland, of course Rafe and Shoreline are already there. So there's even more sneaky sneak to do. But Nate and Sam are always one step ahead. And they find the next clue that the treasure is in Kings Bay in Madagascar. I love the forethought of these people hundreds of years ago to place clues in places it took them months, if not years, to voyage to each time. Just so that we can have a little fun globetrotting adventure and make a lot of use of Sully's pilot skills. So, on to Madagascar, where they discover more clues and have more run-ins with Shoreline. One of which is probably the best car chase scene in any game ever. Of course, the treasure is not in King's Bay. That would have been too easy. Avery and a bunch of other notable pirates pooled their treasures and built the pirate colony of Libertalia which is apparently off the coast of Madagascar somewhere. But when they get back to the hotel room after the crazy car chase, ready to set off to Libertalia, Elena is in their room and livid. Was there ever a Malaysia job? Come Come on, wait. Elena, wait! I don't get you. Look, I, I wanted to tell you. You know what? Enough! No, I wanted to, but how could I? I don't know. Just say it. I had to protect you. That is bullshit, Nate. You just didn't have the nerve to face me again. I, I knew you would react like this. How would you react? You lied to me for weeks. If you were killed, I, I wouldn't have even known about it. And now you have a brother. Who are you? Come on. I'm me. Come on, it's me. It's different this time. I have to save him. I don't even care about the treasure. The look on your face when you walked into this room. If you're done lying to me, then you should stop lying to yourself. I got a plane to catch. You do what you have to do. That was such a real husband-wife fight. Don't lie, guys, okay? Elena leaves the hotel room, and Nate immediately goes right back to looking at the map to Avery's treasure. Sully tells Nate to go after her in a tone of voice that implies this is the most obvious thing, and he is dumb for not doing it. And he is. But Nate adamantly refuses. He's certain that this is the only way to save Sam, and that if Sam and Sully go to Libertalia without him, they'll just die. 
Nate's overinflated sense of importance stems from his chronic hero syndrome, where he believes that he is the only one who can stop XYZ from doing whatever, etc. Nate tries to say that he lied to protect Elena, that he was just scared that she would die on one of his adventures like she very nearly did back in the Himalayas a few years before, that he is the only one who can save Sam from Alcazar's wrath. Well, if there's one thing this series, and especially this game, hammers home, it's that nothing worth doing is done alone. Nate needs his family to help him, and his family needs him. It's a give and take. So they all go off to Libertalia, and of course, Sam gets immediately captured by Rafe and Nadine, who force him to lead them to the treasure. They seemingly kill Nate, but one of Nate's tropes is called Made of Iron, which means that he can't just be killed. Even getting onto the island should have ended his story, as he crashed in the freezing rain and then proceeded to fall twice, hitting his head. Nate is a determinator, though, and he just wants that treasure. Oh, but guess what? Elena finds him after Rafe tossed him off a cliff, and she patches him up. Of course, Elena followed him to the island. Do you think she would leave him alone after all this time? After all they've been through? So, this portion of the game is basically adult goonies, and it's just fun. Lurking through old pirate secret passages, driving across the island. And all the while, Elena and Nate are working together. Their relationship blossoms again. They thrive on this teamwork. Elena was never going to be content letting Nate run off on his own adventures. And Nate needs all the help that he can get from Elena. She saved him so many times, I've lost count. At one point, the two get trapped in an old net trap and have to swing themselves to a hanging corpse with a sword, all while booby trap bombs are exploding beneath them and getting closer and closer. They get the sword, and they have to sprint to safety as more bombs explode around them, and they make it to the end of the bombs, seemingly unharmed. <laughs> it's just like old times, huh? Lena? Lena? Hey! Hey! Lena, come on! Lena! Oh, my hero. Oh, no, you didn't do that. <laughs> no, that's not funny. Oh, oh you have done much worse. No. God, you gave me a goddamn heart attack. Oh, let me listen. <sighs> Sounds what? good to me. Uh, you realize we're now even for everything I've ever pulled, right? Yeah, like ever. No, not by a long shot. <laughs> Gosh, you've got money everywhere. Anyone ever tell you you have a funny idea of romantic? Yeah. Yeah, I may have heard that somewhere before. <laughs> so, they kiss and make up, literally, which I love because this is just a cute scene. They're finally in sync again. They hear 
gunfire right after this and see Sam running for his life. And the rest of this is just a sprint to save Sam. Which they do, but they also want to leave the island, deciding the treasure isn't worth it. But Sam wants to find the treasure. So, at the first opportunity, he runs off. And Nate feels that he has to go save his brother. Of course, do we expect anything less from him at this point? Elena knows she has to let him go, because he would never forgive himself for leaving his brother behind a second time. Thinking his brother died 15 years earlier during the escape from that Panamanian prison has been Nate's biggest life regret, and not chasing after him here would be his second. We don't have enough time. Nate? No? Not by yourself? I'll come right back, okay? Look, he is not going to leave without a fight. Well, then I'll fight him if I have to, but either way, I'm bringing him back. Just get the plane as close to the mountain as you can. Be ready for a quick getaway. Like there's another kind? It's not fair. Doing the dishes? We take turns? Don't even think about not coming back. (laughs) I love you. The magic of these types of callbacks to earlier moments in the game is what makes these characters feel real. How many of us have inside jokes or routines with our closest loved ones and friends? Maybe Sally doesn't know what Elena is talking about. But Nate does. And that's all that matters. Nate knows it's her way of saying, I love you too. It was nice to hear him say it directly to her though. So the rest of the game is a sprint to the cave where Captain Henry Avery's ship is located, and it is loaded with treasure. Nate and Rafe and Nadine and her shoreline peeps get there at about the same time, although Nate had already had time to hard parkour way in. Of course, the ship is booby-trapped, a la Goonies, and in the center hold of the ship is where the bulk of the treasure is. There's an epic sword fight between Rafe and Nate, where it becomes very clear that Rafe knows how to use a sword, and Nate really doesn't. But in a true one-man army fashion, he still manages to win. Or the main character, remember? And the ship sinks. From all the explosions from the booby traps set by Avery hundreds of years ago, and Sam and Nate manage to barely make it out, treasureless as usual. Each time we have accompanied Nate as he discovers a major historical find, he comes away with barely anything beyond a few trinkets to prove that what he experienced really happened. And, you know, to make money off of. What Nate comes home with in this game is more valuable than pirate gold, though. His marriage is solid, and he's learned a valuable lesson in Libertalia. He can have both. He can have his happily married life and adventure, but he can't have both in the way he's used to. They return home to New Orleans where Nate's salvage boss sells him the company. Elena, being the brilliant woman she is, comes up with a great compromise. She will revive her old show and Nate will get to do legal salvage jobs around the world and they can still have that adventure that they love. Elena watched as Nate enjoyed the adventure and she realized she missed that life too. Unlike in any of our previous romances we've covered, 
we have a happily ever after. And, well, shit, we actually have a real ending. Which can't be said for many of the franchises we've covered so far. But with Uncharted, we get to see a beautiful epilogue that wraps up this story in such a touching way. The epilogue is set maybe 15 or so years in the future, and opens with someone playing Crash Bandicoot. When the level is over, or you run out of lives, it is revealed that you are now playing as a teenage girl named Cassie. Her and her dog Vicky wander around her house, looking for her mom and dad. The house isn't too neat, but very lived in with decor from different cultures all over the house. Beautiful rugs, sculptures, and art line the rooms, and the house is filled with color. They are clearly not minimalists, but the house tells the story of a life full of love, adventure, and travel. Cassie eventually ends up snooping through her dad's cabinet, where he keeps all of the big secrets of the adventures we are all familiar with. There is his trusty leather shoulder holster hanging on the door. A St. Dismas cross. The decoder from the third game. And more. Cassie has clearly never seen the inside of this cabinet before. Neat. It's time to have the talk. Yeah, it's totally time. Wait, which talker are we talking about here? She's just a kid. She's older than you and Sam when you started That's, all of this. That is different, and you know Okay, right? look, if you guys were into some shady stuff, it's totally cool. <laughs> but I think I'm old enough to know about it, right? Old enough? How old are you again? Ah, <sighs> funny. Mom? All right. <sighs> well, let's see. Um, For me, it started when this guy called me up with a scoop on a massive historical find. <laughs> Sounded like a complete fraud. Yeah, handsome fraud. No, I hadn't even met him yet. Oh, she knew. <laughs> she knew. So this fraud says, if you fund the trip, then I'll give you the coffin of Sir Francis Drake. And for the record, I totally delivered. Yeah, you delivered us into the hands of Indonesian pirates. Oh, come on. You know I had nothing to do okay, with that. Guys, time out. You're saying that you were attacked by pirates after you found the coffin of Sir Francis Drake. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that's pretty that's much right. it. Yeah. Bullshit. Language. Language. Crap. Better. All right, so keep going. You know what? The sun is up. Boat's ready. Wind is just right. You want to continue the story? I say we do it on the water. Come on. Well, wait, what did Francis Drake look like? Was it gross? Actually, he wasn't in there. Yeah, just his journal with a map to Eldorado. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love this so much. When I finished this epilogue, I cried like the Cincy baby I am. It was just so beautiful to see the life they've built and how they've managed to bring raising Cassie into their lives of treasure hunting. As you can see that Cassie accompanies her parents on their now legal salvage business and archeological show. And to me, the epilogue highlights Elena in such a wonderful way. Elena's literally the bookend to the whole series. 
She's the first voice you hear in the first game, and she's the last character you see at the end of the epilogue. She is the greatest treasure Nate ever found, to not be too corny. While I know there wasn't any sex scenes in the series, I think they didn't need it. Elena and Nate clearly have sex, they have a kid, but their romance scenes in the game are simply clever verbal sparring. In fact, I think it serves as one of the many reasons that Elena is not just the arm candy to the male protagonist. Elena is Nate's equal in every way, and even is more mature in a lot of ways throughout the games, and I think the witty banter and flirting that they do serves as another way to highlight this. I really like them as a couple. We've talked about it a few times over the last year, but the trope I hate the most is the you complete me. Nate and Elena could have fallen into this, but instead they are that great you make me better couple. They can obviously survive on their own, but together they thrive. They make each other better better people, better friends, and even better adventurers. Yes, they have their faults, but don't we all? I love to see that. I wish I could have gotten more than kisses, maybe an ass grab or two, but maybe physical touch just isn't their primary love language. Maybe. I also just want to say that it's so, it's just such a treat to have an ending to a story with video games. We don't, well, these big franchises, you know, especially with romances, we don't often have endings like this. The games we've talked about in the past, like Mass Effect is going to continue. Dragon Age is continuing. Last of Us is continuing. I know we haven't gotten there yet, but we will. All these games haven't really ended and some of the romances their endings are just kind of blah or undesirable. <laughs> Solace. It's just nice to have this, like you had it across multiple games and you had a happily ever after that really didn't feel contrived or bullshitty. It was just such an experience to play through those games and, and then have that all wrapped up with that epilogue. It was awesome. There is an opinion out there that Nate and Elena's on-again, off-again relationship cycling behavior is no good, so that they're not the star video game couple that many believe them to be. I guess I can see why people think that, just looking at the games. But I don't think we can ever have a broad rule like this. And I also don't think that they really relationship cycle, because I don't know if people are taking the time in between games into context when they say this. And also in context, you have to take Nate and Elena into consideration as individuals. And for them, it makes sense. Nate was the one to break it off the two times they were separated, at least that it is implied. In the second game, we can't be sure how long they ever dated, but I don't think it's strange that they broke up then. The reason their marriage was on pause was because Nate couldn't let go of his solo adventuring ways. Once he realizes how to lean on his friends in the third game, they come together and reconcile. We got five happy years. And then later, Nate makes one major mistake. I'll give him that. He lies to Elena. That's not, not a tiny mistake. But if you take marriage vows seriously, 
It's for better and for worse. And Elena definitely takes that seriously. Like, (laughs) hardcore. Marriages have their rocky patches. But that doesn't mean they are bad or shouldn't be together because that happens. The honeymoon phase ends. I've been with my husband for over 10 years now. And trust me, a long-term relationship is work. I think their marriage troubles served to ground and humanize these two in a world and in a game where crazy shit is going down. The way they come back together and then the epilogue was just the best part of the story for me. Yeah. In six months, it will be 20 years. I'm old, but so is he. And all of the moments that we have shared, all the deep lore that is us, with a nod or a smile or a glance or a furrowed brow, he knows what I'm thinking. And I see that in the looks that Nate and Elena give in the epilogue. Like, even from... Like a game development standpoint, I can see that their relationship looks like mine. And I love it. They exchange the look when debating telling Cassie the stories. And that's all that they need. Because you just know. Yeah, I actually think it would have felt too fairy tale if they didn't have any issues. Nate, Nate's problematic. <laughs> like what we kind of talked about, like how many people has he killed? How many things has he destroyed? Elena is also a counterpoint to Nate in that is she like redeems him in some ways because like, for instance, I think it's the third game when they're in. Um, no, I'm sorry. It was the second game and they're in the Himalayas and she knows Tibetan and she's like, becoming a part of this village life while Nate's healing. And Nate has to go run off with one of the men from the village. And he doesn't speak. He doesn't speak it at all. He's just like destroying all these ancient things with this guy. And I'm just like, that's, that's a very good way to sum him up. Like she's just a perfect counterbalance to Nate. Yeah. You know, that and I also really like the fact that they, as characters, like the actual body models continued to age up. They changed in the epilogue. Yeah, Nate's not the svelte main action hero man. And Elena's got some gray hairs too. I love the dad bot at the end of the game. Yeah, it's crazy to look at the first game which to me, I mean, like you can tell it's an older game because of the graphics, but they're not that bad. But then when you compare it to the fourth game and you're like, I can see the subtle motions on their faces, like furrowed brows and she rolls her eyes or something, you know, you couldn't get that detail in the first game. So it's just really cool to see the progression, even through those years of what they end up looking like. They did a good job in all, in all things for this game. In all ways, it was a wonderful story that we got to participate in because it's a game. And that's why I love games so much. It's also a good week to be a Naughty Dog fan because Sunday's coming up and The Last of Us show is premiering. Cannot wait. Going to be watching the shit out of that. (laughs) I still need to go watch Absolution. 
Uh, it's actually, I think I should be able to start it this weekend. We'll see. I know that I've got a lot of shows to catch up on, and a lot of games, and a lot of books, but I've got over half of the companions on Fallout 4 now, so, you know, I'm getting there. I'm playing all the games that I said I'd play. I'm watching all the things I'd say I'd watch. But also Sleepy Mama. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I will say, side note, that was 16 audio clips, (laughs) y'all. That's a lot for one episode. I couldn't help it. There were so many more I wanted to add and I didn't because I was like, you can't do that to Jen. I like mark what audio clips I want. And Jen sometimes will add or like do some too, but she's the one who pulls them. And I'm like, I don't want to make you work too hard. But we, I feel like all the ones we had were necessary and just enough to really get a good feel of their relationship and the way they speak to each other and interact so good oh yeah i just want to replay it again like for the first time like as if i didn't know it was going to happen because i remember exactly how i felt when i finished the fourth game's epilogue and i want to feel that again it was just such a good feeling all right well if you like what you're hearing please be sure to leave a review on itunes or give us a rating on spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts you can now find me on the cyberpunk Lorecast with uh, my co-host toasty where we explore the foundations of the past the state of night city today and the news of the future for all things cyberpunk and of course in our two girls one ship channel on the robots radio discord Come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash two girls one ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and on our own Two Girls One Ship Discord server where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Wednesdays and Fridays at 10:30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7:30 p.m. Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening. And remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. Welcome to Three Count Thoughts. Let me introduce the crew real quick. Hi, I'm Maverick Stone. I'm Romer. And I'm Jaxus. Join us as we talk all things wrestling. Each week, we'll take a topic from the wrestling world, knock it around a bit, and then go over the week in wrestling from a strictly fan perspective. We can be found on all major podcast catchers. We can also be found at Three Count Thoughts on both YouTube and Twitter. Or you can send us an email using 3CountThoughts at gmail.com. Okay, are you ready? Ring the bell.